second Sunday of Advent at Hollywood United Methodist Church. We are glad that you have joined us today in person and online. Let us now receive the lighting of the second Advent candle. For many of us, the call to head home is one of joy and hope. We can't wait to reconnect with family, with history and tradition, with a wonderful time of freedom and loving support. We can't wait to go home. There are those who fear going home, however, and there are times when going home brings back memories that are not so good, not so healing. We are reminded of when we didn't fit in, when we didn't measure up, when we weren't loved like we needed to be loved. Home can be a difficult place for some. The prophet Malachi tells us that even when we are in the hottest of fires, there is a presence who can make us better, who can refine and purify. John the Baptist tells us that the road home is always under construction, mountains leveled and valleys filled in to make smooth the path that leads us to our true destination, where we can live in peace and unity with all. We light these candles, the candle of hope and of peace, as a sign of our assurance that though the road is hard, we believe it is worth the journey. It is time to go home. and lawgiver, the expected of the nations and their savior. Come and save us, O Lord, our God.
wisdom, who came forth from the mouth of the Most High, reaching from end to end and ordering all things mightily and sweetly. Come and teach us the way of prudence. David, and scepter of the house of Israel, who opens and no one shuts, who shuts and no one opens. Come and bring forth from prison the captive who sits in darkness and in the shadow of death. of the light eternal and son of justice. Come and enlighten those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. the Gentiles and their desired one, cornerstone that makes both one, come and deliver us whom you formed out of the dust of the earth. 
as we started last week, uh, I would love to invite young people to come forward. Yay! so nice to see everyone, isn't it? I love it. Have a seat. I'll have a seat. Sometimes it's harder to get up at this point now. All right, you can all look at me. I know, it's fun to, next week when we're, we're doing our readings, you can look at it, everybody else. But I have a question for everybody. So we're, good, we're talking about hope, and then we're talking today about God created us, God knows everything about us. So when I talk about hope, um, the, the definition of hope is like that thing that you wanted and then the expectation that you're going to get it. Okay? So what is it you hope for? Just raise your hand and share something you hope for. Anybody hope for anything? What do you hope for? Uh, we have a hope for Christmas. It's a stuffed animal that's a monkey. Okay, what else? Annalee hopes for, she has a little Ernie, and she wants a little Bert. So that's what Annalee told me she hoped for. What else? Anybody else hoping for anything? What do you think? What do you think, Maddie? Um, long life and prosperity. Long life and prosperity. That's amazing. I love that. Anybody else have a hope? No? All right, I think we can all think about lots of things that we, oh, you have a hope, Evelyn? What do you hope for? Um, what was that? A stuffed animal with a piggy. A stuffed animal that's a piggy. All right, so take note, all of you listening out there. Um, so there's lots of things that we think um, and hope for in this holiday season. And the one thing we're going to talk about in children's church as we move forward is that, you know what? God knows everything. Even those things we may not say out loud that we hope for, um, those little teeny tiny things. And God, it, it may not all come exactly the way that we planned out, um, but God knows and can deliver on some of those hopes. And so as we move forward in this holiday season, my hope for all of our young people up here and our young at heart out there is that each of you know and recognize how special that you are, that you all have amazing gifts and that you recognize all of those gifts. That's my hope for all of you. And all God's children said, Amen. All right. So as we move forward today, we are going to just say a short prayer, and then we're going to uh, greet each other with a holiday greeting as we all go off into our service. So let's bow our heads for a quick prayer. Dearest Lord, you know all of our hopes, desires, those things that we want, and even those things we may not say out loud. As we move forward in these holiday seasons, as we see these bears go to those who are in need of a little bit of hope, as we think about those who may have things that they have not expressed that have a lot of hopes, that you listen to that, you help us find a way to help not only ourselves, but all of those around us. Amen. Now let us greet one another with signs of peace. May the peace of Christ be with you.
Let us begin our time of prayer, beginning with our choral call to prayer. Gracious and loving God, in whom we live and move and have our being, you raised up John the baptizer as a herald who calls us to follow you. As we joyfully await the coming of the Christ child, we pray to you this day for so many needs, our own, those of the church, those in the world. We give you thanks for these cold, frenetic, nearly winter days in which our to-do lists are longer than our arms. We are grateful to you for the gift of Advent, which reminds us to be patient, to be watchful, and to be expectant. We pray for even greater patience now as our world has identified still another variant of COVID. While we don't quite know yet what Omicron will mean for us to gather together, let us continue to encourage one another to be vaccinated and boosted so that this deadly virus can finally be eliminated. Loving God, we pray that you might give us a consistent kindness and compassion for others. Keep us calm and steady even when the world delivers difficult setbacks to us. In this week in which we have experienced the needless loss of life due to gun violence and the potential loss of autonomy for women, we pray for your guidance as we face an uncertain future. Teach us once again about your redeeming grace that we may learn, however imperfectly, how to forgive others. Help us to serve as agents of healing to our nation, which is struggling to regain its footing in these days of distrust, pain, and upheaval. May we be empowered to make our communities grounded in your love for the world, places of forgiveness and reconciliation where love is practiced in practical ways in our dealings with others who need us and who need you. We present to you all who have special need of your grace today, who are in need of healing of mind, body, or spirit. And we offer that in a time of silence at this now.
We especially lift to you this day, O oh Lord, Bonnie, who is recovering from surgery, Penny, who is home recovering. And we pray for those who are grieving the loss of loved ones this week. Mark Smith on the passing of his mother, David and Evangeline Kelly on the passing of David's father, the family of Reverend Denise as she and her family mourn the passing of her mother, and as we as a community of faith here mourn the passing of our own Francis Evans. Always, O oh God, may your spirit remind us that we are among your forgiven and beloved community. We pray these things in the name of Jesus our Christ, whose birth we anticipate with joy. Amen. And good morning. It is good to be with you this morning, uh, and it is really good to have Pastor Bridie preaching for us today, so we're excited about that. We, are, we have some announcements, but I want to begin with the saddest of them all that I mentioned in the prayer. We learned late Thursday that our own Francis Evans uh, passed away uh, in October. Uh, Francis, this is a picture of him that was in the LA Times in 2012 when he was homeless and living in the hills and LAPD were doing some homeless uh, raids. And so you might remember him, he always had a stocking cap on, slight man, uh, British, and would talk to you at no end in sight about books, literature, art, music. Um, he, we were able to help him get housing in 2016 and he was in his apartment when he passed in October. We will have a small memorial for, service for him in January, uh, and I will keep you posted on dates and times for that. But for now, please keep all those who loved Francis uh, in your prayers. Other announcements, we are almost collecting back all of our compassion bears, but if you haven't brought yours back, it's, if you have it, you can come on up and, and put it up here on the steps. Uh, but please bring them back so that we can distribute them soon. December 14th, um, we are having our fourth annual holiday, <coughs> excuse me, holiday benefit concert at Harmony that Melinda Hale, uh, our worship leader there, is putting together, and it's at 7 o'clock online only. On <coughs> Thursday, December 16th, there is an in-person blue, uh, blue Christmas service that will be led, uh, the homily will be offered by Bishop Swenson. So uh, mark that on your calendar as well. And I think that's at 7 o'clock, I think. Just check online. It'll be there, I promise. Christmas Eve, we will have one service only. That will be 6 o'clock here in the sanctuary at, and online. So 6 o'clock, only one service. And then finally, on December 26th, we will only be online. We will not have an in-person service on that day. We are going to prepackage the service so that everyone can have a Christmas weekend. All that we do here is made possible by you, by your prayers and your presence, your service, your witness, and your financial gifts. Uh, if you brought your offering today, you can place it in one of the baskets as you leave. And if you otherwise, you, there are myriad ways to give through texting and our online options. So. I encourage you to give as generously as you are able.
reading from the Gospel of Luke. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iterea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Good morning. Archbishop Desmond Tutu knows much on what it means to hope. For decades in his role as priest and then bishop and then archbishop, Desmond Tutu fought to end the evil of apartheid in his home country of South Africa. And in that process, worked hard to bring together people of different political and social, social ideology and ethnicity and race to try and build a lasting peace. The life of black South Africans was brutal, violent, and oppressive under apartheid. And it is tempting because decades have passed to let the edges of that sin soften. But the legacy and the trauma remains, and you can see it in the continuing conflict and political turmoil in South Africa. Archbishop Tutu was committed to nonviolent change and resistance. He organized in South Africa and became a public spokesperson globally to draw attention to the evil of apartheid and the deep suffering that it created. He was the repeated target of government reprisals, was arrested many times, had his passport taken away multiple times to try and stop him from traveling the globe and telling the truth about life in his country. And he was subject to campaigns to silence and discredit him. Activists all around him lost their lives in the struggle for freedom. In addition to his important local and international role as a voice for nonviolent resistance and holy change for South Africa, Archbishop Tutu also worked hard to build a more just church as an Anglican archbishop. After his election to the role of archbishop, he moved into the archbishop's residence called Bishop Court. He did that and it was an illegal act because that where the, where the archbishop's home was was zoned only for the living of white people. And so just the very act of assuming his role as faithful leader for Christ was breaking an unjust system. He turned that place, which had been a palace and a residence for bishops, into more of a community-oriented place, installed a playground, and made the pool open to the people in the community, including the black people in his community. Once again, who were never before welcome to use that space in that way because it was illegal. 
He was the first black African to fill his post. And during his time of leadership, he secured the ordination of women in his country and also appointed gay clergy to leadership roles within the church and remained an activist around gay rights. After the end of apartheid, he continues to be an agitating and critical voice of the current government and to fight for justice and the lasting peace. In 2010, he wrote a book with his daughter, who is also a priest, entitled Made for Goodness. It is a reflection between them on their theological understanding and belief that all of us are made for and capable of good things. It's a powerful reflection from one who has witnessed firsthand genuine evil in the world and who has also seen that darkness trans can transform into something more powerful, love. When he released the book Made for Good, he was interviewed by Deborah Solomon of the New York Times in March of 2010. Reflecting on the book's core belief that all are capable of becoming so much more than what their past has written, the interviewer dwelled on some of the personal struggles in Archbishop Tutu's own life, including the violent political past and alcoholism of his oldest son, who did not follow the same, initially the same teachings of nonviolence as his father. And she asked him, how do you make peace with that? As a preacher who has just written a book asking us to be optimistic. And Archbishop Tutu responded, not optimistic, hopeful. Optimism is a much lighter thing. Hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. You see it wonderfully when you fly and the sky is overcast. Sometimes you forget that just beyond the clouds, the sun is shining. This is such a keen message for us in this time of Advent, of anticipation and waiting. Each week we light a candle in the Advent wreath reminding us that there is indeed a light in the darkness. Now how many of you grew up actually lighting an Advent wreath in your home with your family? We tried, we didn't get it every year, but when my mom and dad were on it, we really tried. And it was something special to be able to come around that wreath together, to light the candle, to look at scriptures, and to like sort of grapple with what it means to be immersed in our faith journey daily during this Advent time. Each week as we light that candle, it reminds us that there is light in the darkness that hope is coming, that something more, something more than this is waiting for us, but that we also must prepare for it so that when it comes, we recognize it for what it is. And that lightness is just around the corner. It is just beyond the clouds. Now John the baptizer knew this, he knew that hope was coming, but something more was around the corner. John, cousin to Jesus, was a child of hope himself, born to a long-waiting Elizabeth and Zechariah. He was a miracle child of hope and prophecy. And as an adult, it seems like he didn't have that easy a life. The Bible tells us that he became a wild and wandering and sometimes angry prophet, a desert holy man, 
and camel shirts, eating locusts and honey, which doesn't sound very savory. <laughs> Spending his time going without and speaking out against his government, against its excesses and its oppressive acts, as dangerous an act during John's time as it was during Desmond Tutu's. Who John was and what his role in the story of Jesus is cannot be excluded from the place and the time that he lived in. The heralder of Christ to come was a man who lived on the fringes of society, who was homeless, who was persecuted, who was reviled. We cannot take him out of his place in history because the scriptures won't let us. The passage that Terence so ably read today is one of those passages that begins with a typical litany of names we hear in the Bible. You know what I'm talking about, the kind that we usually skip over to get to the good stuff. We don't give them a lot of thought beyond like, how even do you pronounce that? Sometimes we don't even know who they are. Don't even get me started on the, the chapters in the Bible where it's like so-and-so begat so-and-so and like 50 names later you're supposed to get to like the real story. You know what I'm talking about. Nobody's nodding, but you can tell me. I know. I'm your pastor. I'm confessing right now. We don't give the, the names a lot of thought. But the list is important, especially in today's reading. Luke is setting the stage for us because these names that Terence so ably read and pronounced, they were the most important and powerful political and religious figures of his time. So you better believe that the writer of the book of Luke wanted you to know who it was that was holding power when John began to tell the story of the coming Jesus. In the 15th year of the reign of the emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee and his brother Philip over there was ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis. Is that right, Terrence? <laughs> and Lysanias was ruler of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. These are the power brokers. So powerful that we know their names more than 2,000 years later. During the time of these people's leadership, these men, the word of God came not to them, but to John. The Bible tells us the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Not in the, ha the halls of power or in the Roman court, not even in the Jewish temple, but to this wandering prophet in the wilderness. The word of God is given to an unlikely person in an unlikely place. This is consistent with every level of Jesus' inbreaking in the world, starting from his birth to a young Mary, all the way to his death on the cross and his resurrection. And it is so distant from the elevated status of the decision makers and power, or power brokers that we hear about at the beginning of the passage. John did not have earthly political power, but the word came to him. And he, in turn, shared the word with many that he encountered in his ministry, those who were like him and those who were not, those who were hungry and lost and looking for something more. And he let them know clearly 
that it wasn't John that they were looking for, that something else was coming, that hope was coming, and that we would need to prepare. We would need to repent. We would need to seek together to create a path for the mission and ministry of Christ. We would need to do the work together to make the path straight. But how do we do that? <laughs> when nearly every path seems crooked right now. When the way genuinely is rough, and has not the way been rough these past two years? COVID alone has disrupted our path probably many times. But life also continues with all its difficulties and its struggles. Sometimes it feels like on any given day, we have no idea where we are going. Now, I don't know if you've ever driven on the five to Disneyland or past it, but there's this place where an interchange happens and my GPS goes bananas. And it starts telling me to exit the freeway at every single ramp. And I'm like, I can see the sign that says that Disney Way is five miles from here. But the GPS is telling me to get off the road. I think in real life it can be the same. When faced with too many twists and turns, we short circuit. If we are not intentional about where we are going and how we are getting there, it can be really easy to lose our way. Advent is this glorious and beautiful and wonderful time of preparation and discernment of choosing, choosing to make a space in our lives for the wonder and renewal of the Christ story and the hope that comes with it. It's about being intentional, setting time aside to prepare ourselves to be open to the presence of Christ, however Christ may appear in our lives. It's pretty easy to get it caught up in the other kinds of preparations that we make in the holiday season, to be rushing and running and not even have a moment to breathe. And to be clear, I'm not on any kind of anti-Christmas campaign. I love this 20-foot Christmas tree. I wish I had more twinkly lights out at my house. And if you get Christmas cards from me, you know they're coming in March, but they're coming, right? This isn't the kind of preparation, though, that we're called to make. This is important. This is important. Because we create a spirit of joy and love and hope that reminds us that Christ is coming. But in that hope, in that love, in that moment of taking time to celebrate, we are also asked to turn that joy and that hope and possibility to the brokenness of the world and not turn our backs on what we see. To examine where we are at in our faith journey and think about how the glorious gift that comes with it can also transform and change the brokenness around us. John knew this and he offered baptism to those who would have it as both a form of renewal and an intentional commitment on those who would receive it. We approach baptism in the same way. It is an outward invisible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. And when we participate in it, especially when we are older or adults, we make a commitment to Christ, to Christ's church, to our community, to love God, to fight oppression wherever we see it. That's actually in our baptismal vows, which I think is pretty, you know, amazing. 
and to walk together in a journey of faith. The vows we make when we become members or when we are baptized understand our faith for what it truly is, a communal experience meant to change ourselves, meant to change the world, to give us the power and the energy to exalt the valleys and smooth the rough ways to straighten the path. And there's a lot to do. There's a lot of construction ahead. Even though twinkly lights are glimmering, there is a darkness that remains. This week has been difficult, has it not? There's so many things that I cannot even begin to understand and process. A school shooting at the hands of a child. Hands that were filled with a gun purchased by his parents who taught him how to use it. Who were warned and demanded that his child remain in class. I do not understand this. I cannot understand this darkness. Women's reproductive rights, some would say our very autonomy, are under attack, and I will tell you, it is exhausting. It is exhausting. Our church believes that women have the right to reproductive autonomy, and that when they are able to exercise their rights, they're much less likely to live in poverty, to suffer under control of domestic abuse, to be able to make their own choices in life. It's not just practice, it is spiritual. And the kind of language we are hearing is a violation, and it is violence. For many of us, this is a period of darkness. Over and over again, I searched the news. I was telling Reverend Kathy, I was like, I gotta bring a good, juicy story of something happy happening today. But the LA Times left me dry, friends, so if you've got a better source, please send it to me. Because right now, we need a little light. And maybe, actually precisely, that's why Advent is so important. Because we know that even when the darkness is around us, hope is coming. These candles aren't just ritual and symbol, they are reality. That the light is just beyond the clouds. That deliverance is meant for us. That we will know peace and we will know justice. We don't need to know how to do all the things. We just need to respond to each in our own way to the joint work of creating something new. With our own gifts and our own shortcomings, we can and will bridge the gap between. I love this quote from Mother Teresa. I can do the things that you cannot do. You can do the things that I cannot do. And together, we will create great things. Desmond Tutu continues to serve as a powerful voice of justice who has influence around the globe. But you know what? He didn't start out as an archbishop, the dancing and laughing archbishop who helped lead a peaceful, nonviolent revolution. He was a kid who grew up in a Methodist church, in a pew. His father was the principal of a Methodist school. They eventually became Anglican, but we can leave that for another day. He was like any one of us, any one of our children. In his early adulthood, he was a teacher, and the first bit of activism he had was leaving his teaching post 
when he was asked to teach segregated and racist teachings. He just couldn't. His faith would not allow. And he followed his steps both on his faith journey and his road to activism one step at a time. He answered the call to faith and he turned towards the light. And his journey to being a movement builder was taken step by step in the company of others. Now, Reverend Adam Hamilton writes that Jesus came to incarnate God's presence and to love humanity. But before he left this earth, he called us to do the same in his name. Jesus' followers are intended to put flesh on the invisible God, to incarnate God for the world. We know what this looks like because we see incarnation in Jesus as we read the Gospels through Christ's actions. We are an ongoing incarnation. This season of Advent and this time of waiting and preparation, we will build new paths, brick by brick. In Advent and in every season in our lives, we are invited to live out our faith in small but profound ways that are a testament of who we are and what we believe. We are invited to be a part of the incarnation, to light the candles that single the end to the darkness, to be the candles, to have enough faith to lay each brick out one after the other in front of us as we forge a new path of faith, one where all are welcome, all are loved, and all can call the church home. And that is our work here in this place. So I invite you this Advent in your time of preparation to imagine the kind of world for which you hope. What would it look like? And how would it thrive? And how can you be a part of it? Join us this Christmas Eve and Christmas Day to support our annual dinner with Temple Israel here at Hollywood, where 1,500 of our neighbors will be served at Christmas meal and offered various services. You can come and volunteer either day or bring a baked good, bring a toy. You can be a part of that. You can join us in 2022 as we begin the work of reshaping and relaunching our ministry, um, caring and walking with our houseless and homeless neighbors. You can join in our commitment to honoring creation and our ongoing creation care partnerships with our sister campus, Harmony Toluca Lake. Pastor Jace is going to be leading us in a number of things. Join a Bible study or a book study. Explore your faith this year. Support our brother Larry High as he rides on the AIDS life cycle. We continue to do our ministry around awareness for HIV and AIDS. Join us in our outreach to LGBTQ youth and adults. Are you interested in pursuing and learning about economic equity or racial justice? So are we. This is the work of the church. Or imagine your own ministry in passion and tell us about it. Send Pastor Kathy or myself or anyone an email. Invite others to join you because this is how we do the work. This is how we build the path. Hope is coming. And I can't wait to build the path with you, brick by brick. Amen.
it was so often that Jesus actually gathered around the table with friends. And in this particular season, we remember that Jesus came in the fullness of time to be a light to the nations, to scatter the proud in the imagination of their hearts, to put down the mighty from their thrones and to exalt those of low degree, to fill the hungry with good things and the rich to send empty away. Jesus came among us as a servant to be Emmanuel, to be God's presence with us. And so we remember how on the night that he came and was with his disciples, he took bread, he gave thanks to God, and he broke the bread. And he said to his friends, this is my body that is given for you. Every time you break bread together, do so in remembrance of me. And also, after supper, he took the cup, he gave thanks to God, and he gave the cup to his friends, and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant that is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. And so we too, in remembrance of these mighty acts of Jesus Christ, we remember and we say the words of the mystery, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And so let us pray. Oh God, we ask that you will pour out your Holy Spirit on those of us who are gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one with all in ministry to the world. This indeed is our prayer. And I want to say also that we are formed by God each time that you and I partake of this holy meal. We are formed as disciples ourselves to go and do likewise in a world starving for hope and peace and joy and love. So this too is our calling. And now with confidence as children of God, let us pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We, of course, now as we receive the gifts of God for the people of God, have our, our little communion pieces. Now, some of you may not have yours with you, and the ushers will bring you one if you don't have one. So if you don't have one, would you just lift your hand, and the ushers will come down and offer one to you. Yes, come down front, and, uh, and uh, here comes uh, Rance to offer one 
to those of you who do not have one so that each of us has one and as you are prepared you'll notice that the very top breaks off for the bread and then you'll break it a second time uh, for the cup as unusual as they are <laughs> indeed these are the gifts of God for the people of God so let us break bread together in remembrance of him. Bridey had us do our Advent exercise a little bit earlier, but now indeed we can rise and sing together our closing hymn.
I would like for you to repeat after me. Hope is coming. Hope is coming. Go out and be God's hope in the world, unafraid to be the candles in the darkness. And if you need a little extra light, anyone here will bring it to you. This is the family of God. This is your home. You are loved and you are wanted. Go out into the world and know God's peace. Amen. Thank you.